Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is the 27th of October, and Brent is trading up this morning quite strongly. Uh, Brent crude oil up at 89.35, up over 1.5% uh, after a number of days of downward movement in the oil markets. There is a recovery today. It's really, uh, you know, where do you want to look to get your direction kind of a market at the moment? Uh, and, and and that's where we'll start this morning in, in our first question to Dr. Carl Nackley, CEO of Crystal Energy. Dr. Carl, where are you looking for guidance for the global economy, the direction of travel? I mean, we had a, incredibly overnight the U.S. economy reporting a 4.9% uh, growth in the third quarter where do you see uh, uh, the direction of travel what do you take as your most reliable indicator good morning sean good morning everyone well there is no reliable indicator anywhere today there is still a very significant level of uncertainty and what we are seeing in the oil market just like in any other markets we are seeing more of the market inertia only because we are there is a great level of uncertainty still prevailing I'm sorry. Outlet. I'm just sorry, Carl. I'm just going to interrupt you there because the sound, at least for me, me, is pretty bad. Uh, so can you hear uh, me now? Maybe better without. That is, as they say at Crystal Energy, that is crystal clear. Uh, so yes, that is better. Right, so I'm going to start from the beginning. Good Please. morning, good morning, everyone. Uh, so I'm not able to find any credible uh, metric or direction in terms to decide about where the market is heading next, where the economy is heading next. There is a significant level of uncertainty. And we're seeing now in the oil market, yes, we are seeing a bit of up here and down there, but it's more or less like a market inertia until the thick fog that we are seeing today dissipates a little bit. Now, what we have on the economy economic outlook, you're absolutely right, Sean, that we saw very encouraging data coming from the U.S., actually quite strong uh, GDP growth for the third quarter of this year, nearly 5%, driven largely by consumer spending, which is very strong. And it seems to be conflicting, actually, what you would ex have expected in the light of very aggressive monetary policy where we saw almost an 18 months, 11 consecutive, almost a consecutive increase in interest rates, you wouldn't have expected these figures. But if you look beyond these headline rates, there are a bit many uh, question marks around the next, uh, where, where the market will go next, where the economy will go next, because we're talking about the summer season. We're talking about, so the three quarter, the third quarter GDP is for what happened over the summer. People were spending, the labor market, strengths of the labor market gave people more confidence about spending. But when you look at the data, you can see that people have been drawing down significantly on the savings they have accumulated, for example, when COVID hit and governments handed out generous checks to everybody around the economy. So we are facing, we are entering a new phase. And add to that the fact that the monetary policy, the tightening of the interest rate still has a lagged effect that started to be felt in terms of increasing the cost of borrowing for people. So while the data came strongly from the U.S., it does not guarantee that this is going to be rosy ever after. And the old market is still looking for direction. The market, let's welcome Dr. Aldo Flores Caroga, former Deputy Secretary of Energy and for Hydrocarbons at Mexico's Ministry of Energy and a senior advisor at FTI Consulting. We won't hold that against him. No. Uh, Dr. Aldo, uh, 
it's been a while and it's great to have you back and and you're looking well so that's that's always good that never changes but um what of the sort of outlooks that have been uh sort of impacting you know we've seen that there does feel like there's a downward draft in this oil market. We got it in the second quarter in June, then the output cuts, the unilateral uh, sort of bazooka output cuts by Saudi Arabia, uh, as he lifted that price back up again through the third quarter. Uh, And now it feels like a downward draft, but no, the, the geopolitical crisis uh, the the outlook for the new year, which is really where we're starting to trade now, and it looks like there's a lot more supply, not a lot, but certainly significant already in North America, the United States this year, and now Guyana and maybe Venezuela. And so the Latin America continent looking to offer a lot more oil uh, in the coming months and year. Will OPEC have to cut further to cater for that? Your thoughts on the outlook of supply coming from the Americas? Well, I think you, you nailed it. If I may go back just to the outlook of, of demand, I mean, one of the factors that is playing a role here is that uh, we are seeing forecasts of lower economic growth or slower economic growth rather uh, for the next year if you check the projections of the IMF and the like. So that is applying some, some da- downward pressure. And we are seeing indeed uh, projections for greater production from Latin America. Um, certainly North America, but I'm thinking of Brazil and Guyana that you mentioned. I think the Venezuela equation might take a little bit longer. Uh, Argentina is also an important uh, uh, player in, in, the, in the growth of production from, from the region. So yes, that might change the calculation uh, in OPEC, if it, depending on the growth of that uh, production. So we'll we have to pay attention to that. But but if I may add something, I, I, I think that, uh, that Carol is also saying something very important, and, and it is that, uh, well, I, I'll say once again, we're in a market that is searching for direction with very mixed signals. I was checking my notes from around this time last year, and uh, it's interesting because we're in a similar level of uncertainty, but the variables have changed. Last year, uh, we were talking about an upcoming U.S. economic recession and the reactivation of growth in China because of the ending of, uh, of, the, of, the, of COVID restrictions. And we're in exactly the opposite uh, situation. And yet uncertainty is not, uh, um, is not receding. So it's uh, a market with a tremendous set of mixed signals. And uh, it's definitely very difficult to tell where it might be going. Let's welcome Aditya Saraswat, Research Director, Mina Reistad Energy. Aditya, to you, the same ultimate question. I mean, it does feel like the direction of travel should be quite simple. I mean, U.S. GDP growth of 4.9%. I mean, that's bionic by any OECD standards. On the same day that we have the China September industrial profits extending gains and sort of beating expectations, war in the Middle East. I mean, prices should be going through 100, never mind 90. What, what's the What's the counterintuitive? What are we not seeing here? under all this bullish sort of headline and and yet the market feels like it has a downward draft your thoughts well certainly i think when we look at the fundamentals and pick up in the refinery runs it should be uh, rising up but then there is also uh, um, uh, uh, an underlying bearish sentiments around 
how long or uh, how the long run uh, is it good for long to be honest so when we look at the us gdp it's as carol mentioned it's largely driven by consumer spending equally split half between services and goods but then at the same time in the long run we see that uh, the the industry spending is going down at the same time we are seeing uh, unemployment up so it could be one of the uh, uh, the peaks of uh, gdp but in the long run the skepticism is still there uh, we believe uh, that certainly 2023 looks good but the recession fears are not out in 2024 equation in terms of china the 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 incentives are working we are seeing strong pickup in demand and as, as a result we are seeing good uh, pickup or good like balances showing bullish uh, run for the prices in the fourth quarter but at the same time in the first quarter next year we are seeing as this refinery system goes into turnaround we still see it up roughly 750000 barrels per day of uh, surplus supply and that makes the case for further continued cuts for uh, for the opec member nations but then overall it's uh, like the market everybody is looking for directions right now because there's so much of uh, events at plate at our plate right now but then fundamentally speaking uh, the prices have the floor for this year but entering next year we are again entering into a bearish territory Carol, a big factor for all markets over the last year has been the tightening cycle of the Fed and other central banks in Europe. We saw ECB yesterday hold interest rates steady after 10 consecutive interest rate hikes. Now we have the U.S. growth number out of the Q3. Is this over or is there more tightening, do you think, ahead with inflation still well above target for any central bank, uh, whether it be US or Europe or the UK for that matter? First, I have to say that both Aditya and I should be offended and upset because you told Aldo that he looked good, but he did not share that compliment with us. So I, we I, I'm a, good. Well, it's it's just the longevity. <laughs> I haven't seen Aldo, and and, and there I, I I will get to it. It's, there's still 15 minutes. There's time. Right. The compliments okay. will be flooding into London. I'm feeling better now. Well, look, I mean, you're right that the ECB... It goes without saying, obviously, Carol, that it is the constant state of being, there's a sun in the sky, Carol, actually always looks great. It, it, it neither need to be restated, but please. Thank you very much. ECB, post-interest rate. So that is maybe a positive sign for those who were fearing um, a further tightening because the ECB had already seen inflation going down. I mean, we saw prices in certain sectors 50% lower than last year in terms of the peak compared to the peak. And second, there are concerns about the slowing down of the Eurozone economy. So because of those two factors, the ECB post. Now, the same could be said of what the US Federal Reserve is going to do next, right? But we have to distinguish between posing at such high rates, you know, they are uh, years uh, high, and cutting interest rates. So you can stay in that high level for several months and when maybe until next year. And that would be the, the question. They can still tighten one more time. And I think it would be, as Christine Lagarde said, premature to declare victory over inflation. But so there could be room for maybe one or two more hikes by, until the end of the year. But the big question is for how long they are going to maintain the current levels, because that would have an impact on the economy growth and the economic outlook going forward and when will 
interest rates cuts start to be introduced? I would say the latter is the more important question in terms of uh, understanding the effect of the monetary policy and the link with, uh, with the economic outlook. But pausing is not necessarily um, a step that we should expect next a cut. Aldo, just sort of drilling down a little bit into the, the the politics intersecting with the energy outlook in Latin America, we have, as you said, this pause or this uh, this suspension of sanctions in Venezuela, dependent on a political process there into the next elections that sort of moves in accordance with the parameters of the deal, i.e. transparency, open, free elections. And we have a result in Argentina, which would seem to have been a little bit of a surprise. If you could just talk us through those two political processes that could lead to very two different outcomes for the energy sector in those countries, which, as we know, have great potential. Well, the Venezuela case, we'll have to see how the election process goes. And, and by that, I mean um, how fair and transparent the elections are and, and what that, uh, because from there we can then infer something about what the future might be for investment in, in the oil industry in Venezuela. So this is still more, this is basically a judgment on hold. On Argentina, it's, it's an interesting uh, scenario if only because on, on this uh, uh, second uh, round for the for the election, we already see some realignment of the conservative party with the libertarian candidate, or at least the the candidate the, from the conservative party has uh, already announced her support for for Millet, the the more libertarian candidate. Someone, some people. Uh, characterize him as extreme right. But he's market, uh, very much market friendly and oriented. The, the scary part there is what might be the cost if he does push through with this strategy of dollarizing the, the Argentine economy. But uh, my take is that uh, the oil industry would have a more market friendly environment than it has had so far. Uh, so this should be, uh, let's say, more bullish for oil production in, in Argentina. Aditya, uh, we see the reporting on Bloomberg and Reuters this morning that the, the price uh, in, in the oil price trading uh, the, uh, in early trade is reversed from the downward trend of the last few days because of U.S. strikes in Syria raising the again the prospect of the spread of this war out of Palestine. Uh, I'm wondering uh, from your uh, observation, I mean inevitably the global markets, traders uh, sitting very far away from the region, uh, there's still uncertainty as to whether this can threaten uh, supply chain supply uh, out of the region. Uh, what is your research indicate as how threatened the supply to the region is and consequently the impact for the oil markets, even with this U.S. military attacks or attacking facilities in Syria linked to Iran? No, certainly, I think these are interesting developments. Um, but at the same time, these attacks are just to uh, deter uh, any external uh, influx of uh, opposing groups from across the border. But at the same time, when you look at it from the lens of oil markets, um, uh, the 
right now the geopolitical uh, premiums are out but in the long run and as we are seeing exchange of words between iran and the us that's where we see uh, it becoming a calm before the storm because then it immediately puts uh, the gulf uh, passage of exports into uh, into immediate uh, concern but at the same time um, uh, posing higher risk for oil markets and that's where we are seeing uh, the prices could rally but as we speak now the the efforts of normalizing uh, is uh, increasing we are seeing release of hostages we are seeing aid trucks uh, entering into uh, the impacted area uh, so that's why we we are not seeing uh, consensus over the war spreading out but in case iran comes in uh, and there is a full fledged escalation of war that's where uh, it there there will be a widespread repercussion on the prices and we could easily see prices shooting above $100 per barrel. Carol, your thoughts on that? I appreciate you're not a geopolitical analyst, but nonetheless, you're very close to the region. Lebanon is your home. Uh, do you think we've passed the window in which this conflict could spread uh, and, and, and uh, Lebanon being the sort of sort of step number one, uh, your thoughts on, on the spreading and it becoming any threat to global oil supply chains? Before I answer that mm. uh, question, Sean, I saw earlier uh, you showed a survey whereby the majority of participants, I think only a week ago, expected prices to spike to above $100 a barrel because of the geopolitical tensions in the Middle East. And many have expected that. But we have to remember that the oil markets today are very different from 10 or 15 years ago, when if the Middle East sneezed, the whole world would catch a cold. And that is for several reasons, not only the importance of oil in global economy, but also that the fact that there are other important suppliers outside, and we are not, we are not only talking about OPEC, OPEC plus, that are also bringing more supplies to the market. So there are fundamental realities that kind of, and on, don't forget, we have the war in the Middle East uh, between uh, the Palestinians and the Israelis on top of the war still ongoing in Europe, which few people are still remembering at the moment, which is Ukraine and Russia, right? So you have these very important geopolitical developments and the oil prices are still below $100 a barrel. And that by itself tells me that there are more important fundamentals that have uh, that are driving oil markets, including what we discussed earlier, the economic outlook, but the fact also that we do have some spare capacity in the system as a result of OPEC plus cuts. So that's another dimension we have to bring in to the discussion. Now, of course, the geopolitical risk premium people talk about it nobody knows how much it adds to the oil price nobody ever managed to successfully quantify it but at the moment the way things have evolved in the middle east it seems to be dragging on so the fear of a ground invasion and an escalation and involvement of other partners that initial shock seems to have dissipated does not mean it does not it may not happen it may catch many by surprise especially if you take consideration groups such as hezbollah or other iranian proxies they always build on the surprise factor but today if there is perhaps one ray of hope that the war may not 
uh, at least involve Lebanon on a bigger scale, as we saw in 2006, is that really there is no room for that in Lebanon. The economy is in disastrous condition. The political system is also very, very weak, and people have had enough. So that, and there's no really, what are the gains for Hezbollah except that scoring points for Iran at this stage? So that's the only ray of hope I have. But at the same time, I can say that generally speaking, the geopolitical risk seems to have appeased compared to only a week ago. Let's go to the survey question, uh, which sort of involves a number of the themes we've been talking about this morning. What will have a greater influence on direction of travel for oil prices over the coming weeks and months? The spread of the war in the Mideast, which Carol just very eloquently gave us some insights on. The U.S. economic outlook, which, of course, 4.9% print on Q3. I mean, if they were to do that in the Q4, watch out interest rates being a big story again in the new year. China economic outlook, which seems to be finding some kind of bottom and, and consolidation, not getting worse, but not really getting a lot better as we go into the new year. OPEC cuts, of course, con continue to be, I think, and ultimately some under floor of this market from June. Uh, will that roll into the new year? Everybody's waiting to see and we expect in the coming weeks some announcement with the OPEC meeting in November. So where do you think the greatest influence and direction of travel of oil prices over the coming weeks and months of these four options? All of the above, inevitably, but we're not giving it to you. Uh, your thoughts um, on that. Uh, getting a view from Aldo from uh, Mexico and Latin America, uh, from it's always good to get the, the sort of far away perspective when we're in the middle of the forest here in the Middle East. It's it is truly the 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 most incredible story and tragedy that we've seen in a long time. From far away in Mexico and Latin America, does it feel? Is it a huge story? Is it a nod? Is there views towards the direction of this conflict in the Middle East? Is there concerns? Generally, a, a view from there would be welcome. It is a huge story, of course. Uh, uh, there's uh, much attention being paid. Um, the The consensus, obviously, is that uh, that the atrocities are are were just awful, and that the reaction um, the, the of the legitimate defense that the Israeli government has pursued is already creating a huge humanitarian toll in, in Gaza and that has to be also uh, reanalyzed or tempered in terms of strategy. But this is drawing, of course, a lot of attention. And there is, of course, um, uh, I'll say, I'll, I'll speak for myself, this is, of course, still very up, very much in the air in terms of how this will spread elsewhere in the region. Uh, Everyone obviously is paying attention to what Iran might do, and, uh, and that might be the piece of the puzzle that may or may not cause this conflict to spread uh, elsewhere and, in the final analysis, have an effect on, uh, on the oil market, on the fundamentals of the oil market. But, uh, well, that's still speculative, but, but it is indeed something that uh, is drawing a lot of attention. And the position in Mexico officially is that there should be a, a, a way to find a, a peaceful 
process to solve this uh, this problem. Yeah, no ceasefire yet called from the UN Security Council. Uh, interestingly, the UAE siding on the with the Russians and the Chinese on that recently, and not on the American side on a few votes there. So interesting dynamics as to what's happening at the Security Council, which is really uh, moments like this where the Security Council suddenly becomes very relevant, uh, like we saw in previous major conflicts. And at the moment, it doesn't seem to be the doorway that's going to deliver uh, the ceasefire that is obviously required. Aditya, putting that sort of on the side, ultimately Iran has been a part of the big supply story this year. Uh, geopolitics aside, its ability to continue that uh, into the new year, uh, the uh, the opportunity for more to come there. Are, are, are we seeing everything that Iran can deliver now without the sort of lifting of the official a lifting or suspension of sanctions and investment in in production capacity in Iran have we have they delivered everything they can and that's kind of plateau now into the new year. Your thoughts on additional supply coming out of Iran into the new year? No, certainly, I think Iran has been a growth story so far. But uh, looking at the under the covers, there it's mostly coming out of the summer months where where the unexpected heat wave. Uh, and plateauing gas uh, production led to oil burns. And that's where we saw the oil production reaching 3 million barrels per day. And moving forward, because this time the sanction cycle was supporting Iranian, uh, in, in some ways it somehow allowed Iranian exports and the export dollars uh, gave confidence to the local industry to, to invest uh, multi-billion dollars uh, local contracts to the local providers. However, very few of them have actually trickled down to the uh, to the brownfield maintenance of these fields. But overall, we still see uh, additional 500 to 600,000 barrels per day of uh, uh, supply coming from upcoming startups. But that is contingent upon improving debt conditions of the local uh, banking system. But at the same time, when, if Venezuelan crude comes out, uh, you have uh, discounted uh, crude from Venezuela out of the picture, then it can further boost uh, the demand for Iranian crude. And at the same time, when we are looking at the two different axes developing globally, uh, the response or further tightening of flows from Iran can make or break the deal of upcoming starters. But then again, it all, all depends on how the sanctions are uh, closely looked at when it comes down to Iranian crude flows uh, in the next uh, six to 12 months that will shape up the surplus capacity story for Iran. Uh, Carol, where is Europe at now as we go into the winter? It seems very mild weather, not a lot of consumption on gas. Still, uh, just noticing overnight the IAG airline, British Airways, Iberia, record profits. Everybody traveling in Europe through the summer, despite zero growth or some uh, recessionary economies. Where is, I mean, in all of this counterintuitive clarity or the absence thereof, where is Europe at as we go into winter? Europe is definitely in much better position than where they were last year, primarily because they managed to, I say, diversify their gas supplies a bit with hesitation because while they reduced the dependence on pipeline gas coming from Russia, they were purchasing more LNG coming from Russia. 
but they also had other supplies coming to the market where uh, producers and exporters of gas and particularly LNG took advantage of the big gap left by um, uh, Russia, by the loss of Russian pipeline gas. And add to that that they have full storage, full inventories of gas, which give them a very good safety cushion uh, coming into the winter. And winter, I mean, until now in the UK, I haven't put, for example, the heater on, which is pretty unusual. I would usually start from mid to end of September. So that has helped. And there are predictions that maybe the winter is going to be mild. But really here, your guess is as good as mine because we know we don't know how the weather is going to be. But overall, in terms of diversification of supplies and getting more LNG, downward pressure on prices because, you know, gas prices are well below the levels that we saw last year. And also um, the fact that they are facing a milder winter plus full storage puts Europe in definitely much better position than last year, but does not mean it is entirely safe because we don't know what will happen in Asia, which in turn is going to impact also demand for gas in Europe. Aldo, last word for you uh, with the survey result, uh, direction of travel for the markets, war spreading in the Middle East, just pipping it. Uh, uh, we'll get uh, posted this on social and see where the wider world thinks of these answers. Um, but Aldo, I wanted to get your views on this uh, uh, mergers that we've seen uh, recently announced in the in the U.S. Uh, oil industry. Exxon and then uh, Chevron acquiring the big players in the in the shale basin. And now there's reports of Conoco possibly taking a, a bite of Crown Rock. Uh, the, what does this consolidation mean for the U.S. oil industry? What does it have bearing an impact for the uh, Latin American oil industry? Your thoughts on it? And is there more to come? Well, let's say that beyond Guyana right now, there's not many places to go for additional research, right? Uh, people are working that much in Argentina and Brazil. Um, but this is also about efficiencies. And to me, the more interesting story is that uh, it is, as has been said, it's a, it's a bet on the future of the oil industry. It's not exactly a bet on, on the future in terms of uh, ever-growing demand for for oil and gas, but uh, if you buy into the projection of the IA, and that's very debatable, uh, what we see is a, a long-term plateau uh, for oil demand. And that means that investment requirements to keep supply at that level will continue to be high. So I interpret this as, a, as a buying at least into that plateau. Um, I somehow, I, th I also think it's worthwhile remembering an interview that Darren Woods from Exxon had about, uh, was it last year? He was asked about this type of projections of demand. And, and he said, you know, uh, if they are, that is, as is being said, by 2040 or, or, that, or that decade, and if, if by then all cars are electric, we'll see demand for oil more or less at the level at, at which it was in 2014. And he says, we were a wonderful, uh, we were a great business in 2014. So, <laughs> so it's, it's not a, it's not exactly a big deal. Uh, yeah. Given... I, I, I suppose also one of the things that I, I, I note in it is that by the big actors taking over all of the, the action in the shale basin, uh, 
they can control the supply that comes out of there as a result and ultimately keep the market nice and tight as OPEC plus have done in recent times. So they become part of that tightness management rather than leaving it to the unknown of all of those smaller entities that just want to bang as much oil out of the ground as possible to make some turnover. We'll have to leave it there. As always, Dr. Alda Flores Kroger, great to see you back and looking yeah. great, but not quite as great as Dr. Carol Nack. <laughs> Never ever. <laughs> who always looks great. And Aditya Saraswat, a new joining uh, part of our commentator pool. Always welcome to have you and looking great as well, Aditya. Uh, thank you so much. Oil trading up one and a half percent. It's Friday. So much can happen on weekends these days. We'll have to see where the world is at on Monday. Hopefully quieter, more peaceful especially for our uh, uh, for our uh, family and friends uh, in Palestine who are living under very terrible circumstances. We think of them and wish them the best. All the best. Thank you so much.